0: Now, turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Genesis chapter 29. If you're using a hardback Bible, you'll find it on page 23. Uh, Genesis 29. It is uh, normally, we normally stand when we read God's Word together. Uh, I'm going to not do that this morning uh, again because I'm going to read um, almost uh, all of the chapter. Um, So I won't ask you to stand for such a lengthy reading uh, this morning. Genesis chapter uh, 29, Uh, then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the field and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it for out of that well, the flocks were watered, the stone on the well's Mouth was large, and when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? They said, We are from Haran. He said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, We know him. He said to them, is, Is it well with him? They said, It is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. He said, Behold, it is still high day. It's not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go, pasture them. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud, and Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son, and she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. And then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your daughter, for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. And then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went in to her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, It is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went in to Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. And served Laban for another seven years. The grass withers, flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray together. We pray, O Holy Spirit, that you would use this, your word, to teach us that we would, yes, understand it better, but that more importantly, we would understand our Savior better, And that You would use these words to conform us more and more into His image. For it's in Christ's name that we ask Him. Amen. You know, there's talk um, that you and I live in a post-Christian culture. uh, That we're living in a a world that is kind of no longer Christian. It was was at one time influenced heavily, Judeo-Christian ethic, whatever, however you want to call it. Uh, but that the world in which we live now, our nation now, is a post-Christian nation. Uh, we're nervous, I think, maybe some of us, if we're honest, that uh, that maybe the church is on the way out. That the church really is uh, losing its influence, that it's uh, going to be squeezed out of the the center of the table of ideas it's going to be no longer welcomed in those kinds of places it's easy enough to watch the news and wonder um, or perhaps more accurately watch your twitter feed or your facebook page and and wonder what's going to happen to the church what will come of god's work in our world can can the pressure from the outside be so great uh, as to send it, uh, to end the church completely. Jacob has continued on his journey. It would have taken a month or so for him to get from from his homeland to uh, Laban, to Laban's um, homeland, to uh, Paddan Aram, to Haran. Uh, there he's, he's looking for a wife. He's been sent there by his parents. Go. Go back to your kinfolk and, and there find a wife. And, and you remember the, the last thing we saw uh, last week. Jacob had a dream, a dream of a, a ladder. He, he, he looks and there's this ladder reaching from earth up into heaven. And on this ladder are angels ascending and descending. And at the top of the ladder is God himself, is Yahweh himself. It was a, a picture, a, a promise of God's presence with Jacob. So much so that even God said as much, I am with you and I will be with you wherever, forever. Wherever you go, I will be with you. It was intended to give Jacob this vision, okay, wherever I am, whenever I am wherever, this ladder is there. I may not be able to see it, but it's there. It's to be that kind of a, a reminder to Jacob. And he... God promised to Jacob His presence and His protection, in addition to offspring and to land. And so, here in Genesis 29, Jacob shows up at this well. He's he's wandered. Could you imagine? By the way, I mean, I just I'm fascinated by this sort of this idea. Um, you're told, all right, look, uh, Dallas is that way. I think I'm pointing in the right direction. Dallas is that way, go find it. I mean, that's kind of where you're sent, that way. Um, That's that way. Uh, But anyway, Dallas is west of here, go find it. I mean, imagine that kind of clarity. That's essentially what Jacob had. Your, Your kinfolk, Laban, his mother's brother, lives east. So go east and find him. Jacob appears at a well. Hey, apparently, all the good stuff happens at wells in those days. We need a well in Athens. Um, all the all the good stuff happens here at this well. He shows up, and there's these flocks of of sheep gathered around the well. And then in verse four, he asks them, "Where are you from?" And you know they get you almost. They almost sound like they're not interested in talking to him. They give as brief an answer, as short an answer as they possibly can. Hey guys, my brothers, where are y'all from? Uh, Haran. Oh, do you know Laban? We do. It's like, how much can I, information can I actually let out? You really get the sense they're not at all interested in talking to him. Do you know Laban? Yeah. Yep, we do. Is he well? Uh, yes, he is. Oh, and look, here comes Rachel, his daughter. They're quick to point out that, that Laban's daughter is on the way with her flocks, flock as well. Rachel means you, you lamb. So Laban's lamb is coming with Laban's sheep. That's the, the image, the picture in their response. I hope this passage sounds familiar. I mean, I hope you were here, what, a month ago when we were in Genesis 24? This passage should should sound extremely familiar to you if you were here on that particular Sunday. Because in Genesis 24, Abraham, Jacob's grandfather, sends his servant back, to this same people, to the same land, to find a wife for Isaac, Jacob's father. That, that conversation may have happened at the exact same well, for all we know. Abraham's servant goes and meets with, uh, meet, ultimately meets Rebekah, Jacob's mom, and takes her back to be Isaac's wife. The accounts are so similar. It sounds so familiar. There is one glaring omission in this passage, however. In Genesis 24, Abraham's servant prayed numerous times. When he gets to the well, he prays that God would bring the right person to meet and then, when he figures out that he's met the right person, he prays again before he leaves the well, before he goes back with her. There's this, there's this influx of of this emphasis on prayer back in Genesis 24. Here in Genesis, Genesis 29, however, there's no prayer at all. There's no mention of now. Okay, we might not, we couldn't make a whole lot of that. If we didn't already know Jacob's past, if we didn't know so much already that Jacob likes to take matters into his own hands, that that he thinks he can, he has this long-standing, I guess, tradition of being self-reliant. That's been his pattern throughout. It's it's interesting at least that there's no mention of prayer, no mention of seeking God's blessing on this trip at all. We might say anybody else, and we wouldn't even mention it. We wouldn't even point it out. But with Jacob, that's been a pattern of his life. At the very least, regardless of what Jacob thinks, Moses wants you and me to quickly recognize God's providence. Moses wants you and me right on the front end of the chapter to recognize that God is at work in this passage. What are God's works of providence if we steal the shorter catechism answer? God's works of providence are His most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all His creatures and all their actions. God is at work behind the scenes orchestrating this meeting between Jacob and Rachel. the end of Genesis 28 God promised Jacob that he would be with him and keep him and at the beginning of chapter 29 he's doing that he promised his presence he promised his protection he promised to be with Jacob wherever forever and in this moment right in the very next uh, section of the bible you and i are intended we should remember we should see quickly god's doing exactly what he said he would do god's hand of providence is at work in jacob's life the latter is gone from our sight the latter is gone from jacob's side but that doesn't mean god's providence god's presence has ceased Jacob meets Rachel. And in verse 7, so the pattern seems to be, okay, yes, there's this big stone over the well. It's It's a way to keep dirt and sand from filling up the well. It's a way to keep it You know, the water is pure as you can. And so they they leave the stone there. And there's some question, is the stone so large that it takes all the shepherds to roll it out of the way? And so Jacob rolling it by himself is some feat of strength? Or is it just common custom? We've all reached the agreement that once we're all here, we'll roll the stone out of the way, water our sheep, and then put it back. I think it's probably the the custom of that well. These shepherds have all kind of created a, a... Um, some sort of coalition. We won't start without you. We'll wait for you all to get here. And when you're here, we'll roll the stone out of the way. Because some contend that Jacob's trying to show off for Rachel, rolling the stone away by himself. I think he's actually trying to get rid of the other shepherds. He's... well. Water your sheep. How come you're not? I mean, the first thing he says after they say, here comes Rachel, his daughter. He sees Rachel. We're told several times she's quite attractive. He sees Rachel coming with the sheep. And he's like, what are y'all doing? Not Water your sheep. Go back to pasture. You almost get the sense he's trying to get rid of either witnesses or competition. I'm not really sure which. And then when he does, verse 10, when he does roll the stone away, Rachel waters her sheep first. He rolls the stone away so that he can step out of the way and say, Here, Rachel, you go ahead. The rest of us will wait. God's hand of providence is at work in Jacob's life. And once she waters her sheep... he plants one on her the only time in the whole bible a man and a woman kiss and they aren't man and husband and wife or mother son it's the only kiss in the entire bible between a man and a woman who are not mother son or husband wife i don't think it's intended to be a romantic kiss at this point i think he's excited I found the very person I'm coming to look for. My parents told me, go east, find Laban. How's that? He didn't have a GPS. You don't get to enter Laban's house, you know, put the GPS coordinates in. Google Maps, hey Siri, tell me. I hope my phone didn't beep. Uh, Hey Siri, tell me where Laban's house is. Get me directions to Laban's house. He didn't do that, right? He didn't have all that. And he gets to this well, and it's the right place. You'd be kissing people too. If you were celebrating God's providence like that, you'd be planting one on her too. He tells the story. He recounts, informs her, oh, by the way, here's why I'm kissing you. I mean, you can imagine her shock, right? I mean, uh, uh... Okay, he kisses her, then tells her, probably should do it the other way around. He explains everything to her. I'm your father's sister's son. And she, just like, just like her mother, ran to tell her dad, tell her, her family, here Rachel runs to tell Laban, you're not going to believe Who I met at the well. Again, the parallels between Genesis 24 and 29 are incredible. You remember Laban. You remember Laban from Genesis 24? You remember his personality? You remember what he uh, wanted more than anything? He seems only interested in the bottom line. It was it was Abraham's servant's wealth. It was the the parade of camels. It was the gold bracelet on Rebecca's arm. It was I mean it was the way I mean hundreds were just falling out of his money sack. I mean you just had this sense about Abraham's servant. That's what Laban noticed. That's what got Laban's attention when the servant came for his sister way back when. That's what he remembers here. Wait a minute. You're the grandson of the guy that sent all those camels. You're the grandson of the guy whose servant had this money bag that was breaking, full of gold and silver and whatever. You, you can almost hear the dollar signs turning around like the cartoon characters in Laban's eyes. You know his eye, He blinks and the dollar signs pop up in his eyeballs. This is the guy that's inherited all that money. This is the guy that should inherit all of that wealth and all of that land and all of those possessions from Abraham. That's Laban's excitement. Jacob lives there a month catching up on the old times, telling all kinds of old stories, uh, recounting all these things we're told. Laban learns the truth. Jacob has nothing. Wait, 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 hold on. You didn't show up with camels? Remember, he he appeared to be completely by himself when he had the dream of this ladder. There's no mention of anyone else. Still, no mention of anyone else. He's he's traveling alone. He's got nothing. Wait a minute, hold on, time out. All the, the wealth that your grandfather Abraham sent to me and my family, to my father and to me, for your mother, you don't have any of that? He realizes that, Jacob has nothing. One of my favorite Disney movies of all time, hands down. It's well, it's easily top two or three. Is Aladdin? You you remember the the parade? Aladdin shows up to impress the princess, and he's got I mean all kinds of stuff. You know, seventy five golden camels, purple peacocks. He's got fifty three. We could sing the song if you want. I'll spare you the song. And that, good people, is why he got dolled up and dropped by with 60 elephants, llamas galore, bears and lions, brass bands and more. That's how you impress a print... No, that's not really what he was trying to do. That's how you impress a girl's father. See, Aladdin understood. If I show up with all of this stuff, the princess, Jasmine, she might be impressed, but I really hope her dad's impressed. That's what I'm after. But Jacob understands. Laban wishes there had been a parade with Jacob walking into town. Jacob has Nothing. But notice that doesn't stop Laban, verse 15. Serve me, work for me, and I'll pay you what you want. You name your price. I think Moses wanted you and me to doubt Laban's character in verse 16. As soon as Moses writes, what will you work for? Name your price. The very next sentence, Laban has two daughters. There's an older one, Leah, and there's a younger one, Rachel. The older one is, um, her eyes were weak, we're told in verse 17. That doesn't mean she's blind. It means they didn't sparkle. They didn't glow. They didn't have that sort of that, that, that ancient Near East shimmer in her eye. She, she lacked beauty. Notice that that's contrasted with Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Blindness and beautiful in form and appearance are not opposites. It, weak. Her eyes were weak has to be the contrast of beautiful in form and appearance. Laban's working up a plan. Laban's got an idea. Laban's Jacob's known for his scheming. Laban, well, he calls Jacob bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh for a reason. They're not just kinsmen. They're cut from the same cloth. They're just alike. He's just as scheming and conniving as Jacob is. Laban is is hatching a plan. Rachel's the one Jacob wants. She's the beautiful one. He's the one she wants to marry. There's just one problem. She's the younger sister. And you don't marry the younger sister when the older is still at home. Lady Catherine de Bourgh in Pride and Prejudice. Wait, 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 hold on. You have three younger sisters out in society and their older sisters aren't married yet? How dare you? The way she looks down on Elizabeth Bennett for that. You don't marry the younger before the older is married. It just so happens, this is perhaps in a divine providential sort of way, more curious than anything else. Rachel, her name means "you lamb. Leah may very well mean cow. She's, she's not the attractive one. She's not the one that, that has caught Jacob's attention. She's, she's the homely sister. And so Jacob works seven years for Rachel, I'll give you seven. The going rate would have been three or four years. So if you sort of work out the bride price, and then this is how much you would pay a shepherd, it would take him roughly three to four years to, to earn the amount of money that would win the going rate of, of the bride price back then. He's, he's basically working double. I'll give you seven years. I'll give you twice the going rate. I'll make an offer you can't refuse. Seven years for your daughter, Rachel. Seven years is a long time. Remember, we don't have his age exactly. He's he's well past 40 at this point. So if you're over 40, seven years is a long time. Some contend he's actually over 70 at this point, at which point seven years is an even longer time. Seven years is a long time to work for Rachel's hand. She must have been something because the hours go by like minutes to steal from the eagle's song, Wasted Time. They pass like days because of the love he had for her. Verse 20. Laban apparently forgot the deal. Jacob had to go to him, verse 21. Give me my wife. Hey, you said. Sun comes up the next morning. This is a party, a feast, wine. Remember, Mr. Edison hadn't been born yet. There were no light bulbs, right? Sun comes up the next morning. peeks through the door of the tent. Jacob rolls over, excited, gazing in the eyes of his new bride. Leah? I mean, the shock, the anger, when he discovered... Councilman Jam right there, right? You got jammed? No, no, no. You got Jacobed. That's what's going on here. Jacob just got Jacobed. He just got snookered. He just got swindled. He just got cheated. He just got out schemed. He couldn't keep up with Uncle Laban. So he worked another seven years. At the end of the honeymoon week, he received Rachel and then worked another seven years for her now, two wives and two of their servants still living in the home with his father-in-law, who's now his adversary. That doesn't sound like a very pleasant life to me. Do you ever? Do you ever recognize God's providence in your life? I mean, are, are there? Do you have those moments? When you realize um, God is at work in this, I can see and feel, I'm keenly aware of God's hand of providence at work even now. Do you only say that when you catch all the green lights because you're late to the meeting? Do you ever say that when you catch all the red light lights when you're late for class, when you're late for that meeting, when you're late for work in the morning? Do you attribute the positive events to God's providence and the, the, the ones that are negative, the ones that make us unhappy, the ones that are uncomfortable for us? Do we say, well, this must be something else. God, I mean, surely wherever man can be, God, you're present there, except here. Is that what we do? Is that what we do with God's Providence. Do we say it's, it's more providential that, that everything went smoothly, that everything went exactly as we hoped it would, that, that all the good, positive, best things that could have happened did, and so that was providential. And when it's negative, we go, I don't know what that was. I don't know where God is. I don't know why God didn't work this out all beautifully and swimmingly. I don't know why... I didn't catch every green light. I don't know why there were bumps in the road. I don't know why this isn't smooth sailing. I don't know why there are waves tossing the sea here and there. As long as it's pleasant for us, as long as things work out for our good, for our pleasure, We attribute it to God's providence and when life gets difficult or when people deceive us or when people take advantage of us, we question what happened to the ladder. Where'd the ladder go? There was supposed to be a ladder. I saw a ladder and now I don't see it and now it's gone. That's what I'd be wondering. If I were Jacob, that's exactly what I would be doing. I'd be wringing my hands and going, you promised me. You said you'd be there. You said you'd be with me. You said your presence would be with me. Your protection would be with me. Wherever, whenever, forever, you promised. That would be my answer. That's what I would be doing to God right here in this point. Where'd the ladder go? Who moved the ladder Jacob can't see the ladder any longer. You know, it's funny. We we think to ourselves, we cry out to God, "Where's, where's the ladder? You promised your presence. What happened to never leave you nor forsake you? Nothing happened to it. See, I didn't read verse 31. If I I had read verses 31 to the end, then we would go, oh, well, I know exactly what happened to the latter. It's still there. Because look at verse 31. Notice what Moses tells us. When the Lord, when Yahweh, this is the first time Yahweh shows up in this chapter. The first time He shows up in this encounter. When Yahweh, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, He opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. Why did Leah conceive? Because God granted it. Why did Rachel not conceive? Because God granted it. Because God ordained it to be so. He prevents Rachel. Rachel is barren. Rachel can't conceive a child. She's the favorite. She's the one Jacob loves. Leah's the one, humor me for a second, spitting out babies in this passage. She has four in verses 31 to the end of the chapter, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, all I mean, it's like, and none of the others, the two servants aren't having kids. Uh, they will. Rachel's not having kids. She will eventually. And Leah's had four without even thinking. He's at work. Even at the point of conception, do we need to make the abortion application right there? I mean, is this this an appropriate time to make the abortion application? Why do we hate abortion so much? Because we actually think God is at work in conception. We actually think that God is knitting babies together in their mother's womb. We think God actually granted that pregnancy. What happened to God's promise of protection and presence? It's actually still here. Laban has deceived Jacob. Laban has tricked him. Right in the midst of of, of Laban out Jacobing Jacob, God's presence is still there. His protection is still there. He hasn't changed one bit. Right here in the midst of, of Jacob having children. Wait a minute. Jacob's having children? God promised that too in chapter 28. He promised offspring. And rather than... Oh, look. God's actually fulfilling this promise. He's just not doing it the way I want Him to. See, I don't want Leah having kids. I want Rachel having kids. She's the one I love. Leah, eh. It's a pest. i got to put up with her because I got tricked. I got duped. God's promise is right here in Reuben, Simeon, Levi and Judah. Moses was a Levite. The man writing these verses down, the man sitting at his typewriter right now writing Genesis 29, is a descendant of Levi, is a descendant of one of Leah's children. Aaron is a Levite. David comes from Judah. Huh. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Judah Jesus comes from this unwanted wife's child. Where's God's promise? What happened to the ladder? It's right there. There it is. In fact, Jesus himself, we saw this last week in John 1, Jesus says he is that ladder. Here it is, right here, God fulfilling exactly what he promised he would do. Yes. Life gets difficult. Yes, things don't always go the way you want them to. Your pleasure, my pleasure, is not the measure of God's presence and protection. My happiness does not prove or disprove God's providence. You know, Jesus was deceived. Humanly speaking, of course, right? Jesus knew what Judas Iscariot was going to do. This is why we read what we read for our New Testament reading. This is why we read Matthew 26. Jesus knew exactly what Judas was going to do to him. He knew he would be betrayed, but he was betrayed. Someone else looked at Christ and said, I'm going to trick him think I'm going to trick him. I think I can trick him. I mean, I know he knows everything. But I'm going to trick him. I'm going to deceive him. I'm going to betray him. I'm going to pretend to be on his side. I'm going to, for three years, pretend to serve him. And then when it's all said and done, 30 coins of silver, that's good enough for me. I'll be glad to betray Jesus for that. Was God absent when Judas turned his back on Jesus? Was God absent when Pilate delivered Jesus up to be crucified? Was that somehow outside of God's plan, of God's promise of presence and protection? Was that outside God's purpose in this world? No, it actually was his purpose. It was exactly what was supposed to happen. You and I want our pleasure, our happiness to be the measure of God's work of providence in our life. And yet Jesus went to the cross. His own pleasure, earthly pleasure, was not the measure of God's providence in His life. How easy it would be for us as Christians. To read the newspaper, or the, the Twitter feed, uh, Facebook. Stay away from that, that's the devil. Uh, watching television at night, you... Whatever, and you see these stories of all the things going on in this country, people who get elected, decisions coming from Supreme Courts, whatever the case may be. Yes, for the most part, we live in a post Christian culture. It would be easy for us to think church is doomed, church is finished, we're done. Just throw your hands up, wring your hands, go home. What's the point? Church is going to lose. God said, but I just don't see it. God said I would build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But I'm not seeing the ladder. The ladder's gone. Somebody somebody moved the ladder. Somebody took the ladder away. The more anti-Christian worldviews take over, the more biblical thinking is, is unacceptable at the table of ideas the more universities say you can't think biblically in my classroom any longer, the more professors mock students for thinking God's thoughts after Him, it would be easy for us to think that God's not paying attention. You know, in previous passages, we've seen God fulfill His promises despite His people's failure. Here, we get to see God can and will preserve his kingdom and his promises despite our being atta- taking advantage of by those outside despite our being betrayed by those outside God's still at work be encouraged and comforted when your neighbor when your coworker betrays you when your boss takes advantage of you Fear not. God's at work. When your professor says, You can't write that way, you can't think that way in my classroom, fear not. God is at work. When you think the church can't continue because we are the minority, because we're teaching things that the world hates, fear not. God is at work. He's not absent just because you can't see the ladder, just because other humans betray us, just because other people will turn their backs on us and take advantage of us and deceive us. God is using even that to fulfill his promises, the growth of his kingdom, and even our own sanctification. May we we get a clearer glimpse of his providence in our lives and in our church and in our world. Let's pray. Father in heaven, You continued to grow Your kingdom despite Jacob being out-Jacob. He was betrayed and deceived by his uncle and yet Though his life, his eyes may have told him things were not going well, you were still at work. When Christ was betrayed by Judas and sold for 30 pieces of silver and nailed to a cross, his life seems to say you're not paying attention any longer. That was exactly your plan for our salvation. The only way you, we could be saved from sin. Father, we pray that we would see your hand of providence at work, growing and expanding your kingdom in us and through us. Through Christ, we pray. Amen.